setting yourself up where you can do all those things that you want to do in your youth in your youth is a lot more important than being scared and you know waiting till 70 to retire and waiting for your, the, your social security to max out before you take that trip i just think i mean you're missing out on life at that point and money is just a tool anyway so who cares Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independent Show, where today, Justin and I are going to tear apart an article. It's called 10 Things No One Tells You About Early Retirement, basically telling you all the reasons why you can't and shouldn't retire early. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody, yeah, coming off kind of a little back-to-back work stuff where I had some folks in town in Austin, which was nice. Got to, you know, see a lot of faces haven't seen because of all the COVIDness over the last few years, um, but got to go out and have some nice dinners. And then I'm actually flying out today, going to Vegas for another work trip, which should be fun. And then over the weekend, you know, it really wasn't too much, just kind of getting some projects done around the house. I did install a 10-inch screen in my work truck that I bought for $8,000, so I bought the work truck for $8,000, not the screen for $8,000. <laughs> so uh, it's about a $400 upgrade when it was all said and done, or around $350. Added like front and backup cam, hands-free mic, GPS. It runs full Android, so I can do like Google Maps and Spotify split screen. I mean, don't tell anyone, but you could actually just watch Netflix going down the road if you really wanted to. <laughs> you could watch live TV going down the road if you wanted to. I just It's one of those like kind of creature comfort things that... I, I love to have, and I was totally fine getting the, the truck without all the bells and whistles, just kind of adding it in myself. And then did have a really cool dinner actually last night, which was a high end hot pot place where, you know, they, everybody had their actually their own individual hot pot, had all these like fancy ingredients and stuff in Austin. So that was a pretty cool one. Definitely a little, you know, outside of that normal budget for a week dinner, but it was a cool experience. How about you, Cody? Well, I think last week I had mentioned that I had all these ski trips planned, but unfortunately, two weeks ago, hurt my shoulder pretty bad, dislocated it, been doing PT. So I was up at Sunday River this past weekend, which is this mountain up in Maine. It has eight peaks, one of my favorite mountains around here. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to snowboard. So I kind of just like hung out and did some snowshoeing, did some exploring around the town. Wasn't ideal for me, but I made it work. I still had some fun. I still got to hang out with my friends. And we had this trip booked for, God, a couple of months by now. And so just resting my shoulder up because next week I'm headed out to Denver and then to Winter Park to get some hopefully snowboarding in. I'm hoping my shoulder holds up and I'm hoping that PT does the trick. So shoulder, not so exciting news, but on the exciting news front, finally got our flip listed that we bought back in September. We basically like gutted and remodeled the whole house There was a whole encroachment. We talked about this on a previous episode, so won't get into all the details now, but basically got this property at a steal at about 200K, put about 45 grand into it, all said and done, and we're listing it today for 350K. So again, it hasn't happened yet. We don't have any bids yet. It literally just got listed like a couple hours before we started recording this, but high hopes, and this is my first flip. We'll see how it goes and see if I move on and do another one in the future. For both the ski trip and this flip, it definitely sounds like you made the most out of it. And if you want to make the most out of this episode, you want to be able to like find any links that we talk about or share it with a friend, you can do that over at thefyshow.com slash early. That's thefyshow.com slash E-A-R-L-Y. Now let's hop into this article. 
Alrighty, so AARP, we're putting you on blast. So it's, again, 10 things no one tells you about early retirement. And a lot of these things, five show listeners are going to be like, I can't believe they're writing this. And I know that's not a blocker for early retirement, but we're just going to kind of flesh out each one of these. Some of them are all right, but some of them are just absolutely egregious. Like you can totally retire early and this is not an obstacle. So the first one here is healthcare is expensive. And honestly, I mean, this it's it's number one for a reason. You hear this on every forum, on every article where you see like someone retires before age 40. Everyone's like, how do they pay for healthcare? How is that even possible? Justin, I don't know if you want to take this one first. I know you might not have as relatable of a situation to everybody, but I know your healthcare is extremely affordable. <laughs> yeah, my healthcare for myself will be essentially free um, for for the rest of my life through the VA. Um, again, that's that's not something super relatable, but actually it, it wasn't even a concern of mine before I realized that was going to be the case because not everyone who leaves the military actually gets coverage through the VA. And it all has to go back towards like if you have a disability rating or you know a, a service-connected injury type thing. But most people who get out of the military before 20 years actually don't get any kind of coverage. But like I, I will be able to use the VA for for healthcare going forward. But even if I wanted to have an extra plan, and I'm not, and I probably will, and obviously Leslie will have to find health insurance. I think the biggest thing is like all these articles kind of conflict two different facts. They're taking what your insurance would cost while you're working if you were to go buy it on your own without an employer, and then they're acting like that's the value that you're going to spend when you actually retire. And that's generally not the case because I guess thankfully for early retirees. The U.S. government, when they think about things like this, they don't really care how much money you have. They care how much money you make. And so if on paper you don't really show any income, then you're going to get subsidized health care. Now, you can argue on whether or not that's fair or or above board, but it is that is the way the, the laws and the systems are designed. You could have $10 million in a brokerage account, but have $0 of taxable income. And you're going to get subsidized health care. You're going to get very, very cheap or free health care. In this article, it talks about a person with $50,000 of income, like what their insurance would cost. First of all, it's not even that crazy of a number. They listed at $346 a month. I think you could totally work that into a budget. Also, if you've got $50,000 of income that's not just kind of like the investments that you're living off of, then you're probably like really set for early retirement anyway. Like if you do have $50,000 of taxable income every year, then you're probably okay if you're doing that while you're retired. So it's either that's the case or it's a situation where an article is taking and kind of conflicting two things where it's talking about someone who was making $50,000 and then they would retire where obviously they would not still be making that money. I want to add, and I know Obviously, everyone has different situations, but I'm young and healthy. And for me, I am well into the highest tax bracket in terms of income. So it's not like I'm getting a subsidy from the government. I'm making a lot of money and I'm getting healthcare straight through the exchange in Massachusetts, which it's probably one of the better states for healthcare, but there are states that are even cheaper than this one. I'm paying $274 a month total for health plus dental. And it is kind of a high deductible plan. I think it's like a $5,000 deductible, but I can cover that because, you know, part of the financial independence movement, I have a good savings rate. I have an emergency fund. I have, have all the things. So if, you know, if crap hit the fan and I needed to come up with $5,000 for some crazy emergency surgery, I could come up with that and pay that. But yeah, I mean, it's 274 bucks. I mean, 
a lot of the numbers that people are throwing around in you know, different forums around personal finance are like, oh yeah, my Cobra is like $2,000 a month or you know $1,500 a month. And for most people, the, the numbers just simply aren't that high. So I would highly encourage you, especially if you're someone who's relatively young and healthy, and maybe you just go to the doctors for physicals, and maybe you have like an ailment or an injury like every once in a while, like me, go and check it out on your websites exchange. I think 33 websites are on the federal, it's like the healthcare.gov exchange. And then I think 17 of them have their own state specific websites. So depending on where you live, you can definitely go check that out. But it's, it's a lot less expensive than I thought. Because like when I went to quit my job, I was super scared. Everyone's like, Oh, my God, like, you're gonna have to pay a $1,000 out of pocket for Cobra, like there goes all of your side hustle income. I'm like, Oh, great. And then it ended up being like $200 a month back when I quit. Now it's $274. So do not let this healthcare thing scare you. If you do have health complications, and you have a more complicated health situation, you might have to look into some you know, do a little more research and look into some more detailed plans and some things that include extra coverage. But for the large majority of people, healthcare does not have to be as expensive as they want you to think it is. Alrighty, well, moving on to number two, we're gonna have fun with this one, Justin. Tapping your nest egg early can be costly. So it's basically saying, I won't read everything here, but it's like if you retire before 59 and a half, you'll pay like the 10% penalty, you'll pay all these penalties for pulling money out of these accounts early. And Justin, I know we've talked extensively about two different strategies. There might even be more, but there's two main strategies that we know about getting retirement funds out of accounts early. You want to talk about the first one, Justin? Yeah, I think the one that's probably the most popular is that conversion ladder idea. And it works really well for folks who are especially like, I I would argue like high income earners, because that's going to mean that you can kind of get the best of both worlds with this. You can go in, put money in traditional accounts while you're working, while you're at that really high tax bracket obviously the higher tax bracket you're in is going to increase your like ability to retire early. So like those people who are like really, really targets for early retirement are probably going to be in a a somewhat high tax bracket. So you avoid those taxes now. And then when you stop working again, kind of what we talked about in number one, your income on paper is going to be very, very low. So then you start doing these Roth conversions and they call it a ladder because there's like that five year waiting period. And so, you you know, you do chunks every year so that you've just got this steady flow of money flowing over. You do enough so that you've got a chunk to live off of, but not so much so that you shove yourself back into that high tax bracket again. And this allows you to avoid that whole 10 percent penalty or, or, or extra tax, if you will. And there's nothing like illegal about that. There's nothing really super complicated about that. There's plenty of articles out there to walk you through how to do that. And if you do it right, you know, you save taxes when you put the money in because you did it as a traditional. And then when you come out of it, if you're in that bottom tax bracket, like you could essentially pay almost nothing in taxes. So it's not only is it not scary, but it's, it's a very powerful tool in the positive direction. And I just want to quickly say that Justin and I are not finance professionals. We're just a couple guys who figured out the finance code and learned how to retire early because 72T SEPP distributions, I'm not like an expert at this by any means. And so if Justin and I accidentally say something wrong, and then we go back and realize like, just don't want you guys to hold us accountable. So basically, (laughs) yeah, thank you for covering Roth conversion ladder. It is definitely the most popular strategy in the five community. The other one that's less talked about is called 72T and SEPP. And basically what this allows you to do is take the SCPP, substantially equal periodic payments. So basically you designate like a certain amount that you're going to be taking from a retirement account, like an IRA or an employer sponsored retirement plan every year. And 
it's at least annually, but I think you can, again, this is where my non-expertness is showing. It at least has to be once a year, but it, I think it can be multiple times a year. And basically you just have to withdraw the same amount using that SEPP rule from that retirement account. Anything to add, Justin, that I'm missing because I'm clearly not an expert in this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not as well versed in that one either. Um, I think I've always just kind of gravitated more towards that conversion ladder method is what I assume I'll use. And I think it's going to work out like beautifully for me because again, I'm getting the shelter money that's coming in that high tax bracket now, avoid taxes now, and then just convert the amount that I need in the future and keep that at the extremely low or no kind of tax situation. And I'm not someone who's going to need hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year or anything crazy. So even just converting like enough that gets you you know, that stays into that first tax bracket, say like 38 grand a year, that along with some of the other money that I have and some of the other income streams that I have honestly would be plenty for me. So I don't need to convert enough that starts shoving me into those upper tax brackets because that is obviously the the one thing that people will point to against doing that conversion is it, it's a taxable event. It's very true, but the amount of taxable income you're going to have even with that conversion, as long as you don't go crazy in any one given year, is going to be a lot less than you're probably making now and a lot less than the tax rates that you're paying now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I know this is one of the things I do know with the 72T SEPP, just like the Roth conversions, it is a taxable event. So you do eliminate that early withdrawal penalty, which is, I believe, 10% for both. Again, I could be wrong. I know that's right yeah. for the Roth conversion. But if you were to transfer over like $100,000 or you going to set up you know, a $100,000 withdrawal every year using SEPP, that is going to count as like taxable income. So just be cognizant of that, do your own research, but there are two ways that you can access that money early. Okay. Number three, you sacrifice the power of compound interest. So this is kind of an interesting one, but I think especially for those in the FI community, it's not necessarily true. I think like with this article, it's it's imagining that someone's saving up this massive nest egg and then they're just going on like a spend train and basically just absolutely destroying that nest egg that they built up. But I think for a lot of us in the FI community, like you understand the 4% rule, I mean, you're still going to have compound interest on your side. And even if you're in a situation where the market is down and maybe you need to like side hustle a bit and earn some money, that's that's kind of a way to allow your money to continue to compound and just kind of bridge the gap and cover some of those expenses without digging into some of that money that's compounding in different accounts. So I don't think retiring early is really sacrificing the power of compounding interest. I mean, if you're someone who's putting hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in retirement accounts and you already have that in your 20s and 30s, I would argue that you're in a better position than someone who's just kind of slowly stacking it up until age 60 and then pulling the retirement trigger because you're just shoving the money in these accounts so much earlier and it's not like you're you're spending all this money. Like let's say you saved up a million dollars by 30 years old and you're spending like 40k a year that compound snowball is going to move a lot quicker than someone who saves up like to the million mark over 60 years in their career, just because you have so many decades where it's going to multiply and double. And if you're smart about it, you're not going to be spending nearly as much as that compound interest is actually increasing in your portfolio. Obviously, you can't like argue that, hey, if you took the same person, in the exact same situation, both of them are stacking money in as early as possible. And that one person just kept going. Yeah, the one person who just kept going is going to end up with more money. I mean, yeah, it's true. But at the end of the day, like you got to know when is enough enough. That's also a big part of this. Like if you've got enough to cover all your expenses, then what are you doing? And they throw around things like, well, if you just work 10 more years, 
Like, oh, just 10 more years. <laughs> yeah, that's it. 10 more of your <laughs> best years. Like, you're talking about, like, from age 35 to 45, where you've got, like, you know, you have that nest egg taken care of. You still have all your health. You want to travel the world. Like, age 45 to 55, maybe you just got the kids out of the house, and now you finally got some, you know, those years where you can travel without a schedule, like 55 to 65. Like, these are all great time periods. Like, I would not trade. 10 years of 35 to 55 for like 15 or 20 years at like 75 to 95. Like, you know, give me those good years is my big thing. So yes, if you were on the exact same path and you stayed that same path, of course you'll end up with more money if you continue to sock it away. But what's the point in that money? And then like what Cuddy was saying, like it's not true that you're just completely sacrificing compound interest. Like that 4% rule is meant to just have like a really high rate of success but if you look at the Monte Carlo type simulations, you know, the simulations that take just thousands and thousands of runs at the same kind of, you know, using the big data sets, you're going to see that probably over 80% of the time, like you're going to end up with way more money than you need. The 4% rule is meant to help you avoid the like very, very small chance that you would run out of money. There's a very, very large chance, a much larger chance than running out of money that your money will continue to compound and say you, you know, saved up, like Cody said, like a million dollars at 30, then you're going to end up with like $7 million when you die. You know, it's the 4% rule is meant to avoid that very edge case of you actually, you know, starting to run out of money. I think that's also a good answer for number four here, which is like, you may have a long, long life ahead of you. And basically it's saying people are living longer than ever. Like you might live till you're 98. And so you're going to run out of money because you haven't done the right calculations. But Kind of talking about what Justin was just saying, like if, if you're understanding the concepts we talk about in the show, like the 4% rule and just understanding how money compounds and how money works, you're not going to be like the person that <laughs> this article is describing in number three, where they just like save up a ton of money and all of a sudden they go on this like crazy spend train where they're all of a sudden just balling out and they're going on the craziest vacations and, you know, in 20 years, their money is gone. That's probably not you if you're someone who listens to the show. So I don't really have much more to add to number four. I think there's some better ones we can pick apart here. Yeah. Like the only things I would say is like really most of the kind of constructs that we put together in this space, there is no timeline on it. It's like an infinite thing. It's like your money will not ever run out regardless. If you live to be 150, like you're going to have money, you know? (laughs) So I don't think like this is kind of coming in with this cash mentality almost like where you've got 25 years worth of savings and you can spend that. And if you go past 25 years, all of a sudden everything falls apart. It's just not the way the math works when you're investing it and you're allowing your money to grow. Seems like all these are <laughs> geared toward people who have serious spending problems, which I guess makes sense because that's like 99% of the country. So number five is you'll spend more than you think. But if you're someone who listens to shows like ours and you're not even, even if you're not budgeting, even if you're just understanding a rough idea of what your expenses are, because that's better than 90 plus percent of people out there, you're probably not going to be spending that much more than you think. And I know Justin and I have talked at length about just like the insanely luxurious lives you can lead with not that much money. Unless you're like a house person or a car guy or girl, and you just like love these massive material possessions living a quote unquote good life, you know, a good life from retirement doesn't have to be that expensive because most people, most people that I talk to and that I know anyway, they're 
they get most of their joy from hanging out with people, from experiences, from travel, from going to the new restaurant, from going to that event, from hanging out with friends. It's those types of things that make people happy. So, I mean, if you're really intentional about it and you want to retire early because you want to do more of the things you love and you want to go on those trips and you want to spend time with loved ones, and you don't want to be stuck in the office all the time. I think it's not that hard to spend just around what you think, or, you know, have a, have a decent plan in place. You might be able to go over a little bit as long as you build that buffer into the retirement plan. But this article is saying like, people are just going crazy and spending double what they had planned in retirement. Like, oh, you know, Susie planned on spending 40 grand, but she actually spent 80 and now she has no money when she's 72. Especially with this audience. I just don't think that's the case. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Yeah. The other thing it says too is, you know, once you retire, like every day is a Saturday. <laughs> I think some of the biggest holes in that argument are like acting like there's not ways that being retired early will actually end up like saving you some money. So we've all looked at flights, right? Like Wednesday to Wednesday, Tuesday to Tuesday, like that kind of time frame. Those flights are always cheaper than flying like on a Saturday or, or flying on a Friday or a Monday or whatever it is, like where you're getting interacting with, you know, people coming and going on their business travel or people starting their vacations or whatever it is. Like you can pick whatever days you want to, and they're going to be way cheaper. Also, when you think about early retirement and like travel specifically, when you go on a trip as someone who's got a job, generally you've got a much tighter time frame where you're going. And your cost like per day for that travel is so much more expensive than somebody who can stretch that out over a month. And now all of a sudden you're not paying for like maybe a more expensive hotel and you're paying for a more of a long term or medium term kind of rental for like a month or two. So there's that aspect of it. There's also like the things that we now probably pay as a convenience because we're trying to live both our work life and then our personal life. Once you remove that work life out of it, like there's probably things around the house that you could just learn how to fix and you don't need to feel like, oh, I got to go pay this person to come in, this contractor to come fix this because I don't have time and I don't know what I'm doing. Like you've got all the time in the world to learn how to do it and you got all the time in the world to actually get it done. Even little things like, right, you'll see like a deal where it's like, hey, like half price movies if you come on a, a Wednesday before seven most of the time you see those signs and you're like, yeah, but who in the world can go see a move? But you know, if you're retired early, you can take advantage of all those things. You're just so much more flexible and everything is supply and demand and the world doesn't have as much demand during these off hours. So you're going to get better deals. I was going to add something here, but I think I'll be able to talk about some of these same concepts on a few of the later ones here. So let's move on to number six for now. Housing expenses don't retire when you do. This is actually kind of a crazy stat. 
44% of retired homeowners between 60 and 70 still carry a mortgage. It's probably not an investor who's carrying a mortgage in a strategic way. That's you know, a regular homeowner who still has a mortgage. Maybe they got a second mortgage on their home because they couldn't afford payments. That's that's actually way higher than I would have thought. But yeah, I mean, housing expenses don't retire when you do. But I'm hoping that if you're someone who's in this community and actually, Justin, I think you mentioned this before talking about like if you have a truck payment right now and you're going to have a truck for the next 15 or 20 years, you don't have to calculate that truck payment into retirement. It's kind of the same thing with housing expenses. Like if you have, you know, five years left in your mortgage, you don't have to go and pay that all off right now. Just make sure that in your calculations, when you're running the 4% rule, when you're making sure you have enough money in your investment accounts that, Hey, like this, this expense is actually going to go away in a couple of years from now. So I don't think this this number this number six is not as scary as this article is making it out to be. Yes, you know, of course, housing expenses don't just go away when you retire and don't have income anymore. But as long as you have a plan, as long as you have a plan for anything, you should be okay. So, yeah, definitely factor this stuff into your calculations, but don't let it scare you, and definitely don't let it be a reason why you don't retire. Is like I got to wait till this thing's paid off because right now my expenses are six thousand per month. If I'm using the four percent rule, like oh, man, I'm going to need like almost $2 million. But if you look at it like, hey, this expense is going away in five years, then you can kind of adjust those calculations and you'll realize you need a lot less to retire than you might think. Also, I think there's two different ways you can attack this. There is the like, obviously like plan for it, understand what is actually going to happen, like the mathematical way. And then there's also the like, there is a little bit of a mental side of this game, right? If you got to be comfortable when you get ready to, to retire. And so if that is what's freaking you out, is there's a lot of fixed expenses that you could go ahead and just like take care of, even if it's not necessarily the most like 100% mathematically like optimal way of retiring early. Like for me, we're just looking at getting solar, for instance. It's not something that's going to like pay for itself overnight. It's going to probably take about 10 years before it's actually starting to be a positive kind of transaction. But it's one less thing I have to think about. It's like this makes enough energy for us. If Texas tomorrow decides they want to double their energy rates, which is something I have no control over, I've now taken that control back. So I think there's a lot of things that you can do that even if it's not necessarily like exactly, the, again, the most mathematical thing to do, if it allows you to just kind of take ownership of it and cross that off the list and get that off the things like, but what if, you know? then I think it could be an interesting move to do. Like I'm, for instance, even on like a, on my car, like I'm going ahead and paying that off. I'm, I'm doing the solar thing. I'm looking for any kind of fixed expense that I can just knock down while I'm still like enjoying my work. It gives me a reason to kind of keep going for a little bit. It also makes me feel super comfortable knowing that I've got plenty of wiggle room and then I've got way less variability that I need to kind of prepare for because I've already locked everything in. So kind of speaking of reducing expenses, the number seven is related to covering those expenses, extra income can be hard to come by. So I don't think AARP knows who they're talking to here because <laughs> if you're someone who's retiring at in their 20s or 30s or even 40s, I mean, we've just had so many guests who you're still marketable. You still have skills. I mean, if you retire in your 20s, my God, like, of course, someone is going to be excited to hire you because to get to that point, you probably have to be pretty smart, pretty good with money, have acquired some skills up to that point. Like you're, you're a pretty marketable asset there. I mean, even if you're in your 30s or 40s retiring early. So the fact that they're saying extra income can be hard to come by, that's just, I mean, that's just completely wrong. And in, in all the uh, cases I've seen personally and on this podcast, I mean, like I was saying, to get to this point, to, to be in a point where you can retire early, you're someone who you have discipline, 
you're earning more than your spend, you're investing the difference, you're probably getting raises or starting side hustles, meaning that you're building extra skills on the side. You're not someone who just lays down and, you know, oh man, I can't find a job. There's no way I'm going to be able to create extra income. You're someone who's constantly just stacking those skills and compounding those skills. And every single day, every single year, becoming a more and more valuable person in terms of the workplace and the work that you can do. So yeah, pushing back hard on number seven here, Justin, I don't know if you want to lay it on them with me or if you, if you can defend them at all. <laughs> no, I think I'd definitely be able to lay it on with you kind of category for this one. So the other thing to keep in mind here is just like how powerful even a small amount of income can be, right? So let's say that you realized you missed your savings goal of what you really needed, like you you screwed up, something happened. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, man, I needed an extra $250,000. Well, in that 4% rule kind of world, that equates to $10,000 a year. Like most people can figure out a way to do something that doesn't take up too much of their time that they enjoy to get an extra $10,000 of income if that's all they're focusing on. I mean, that could be, you know, learning some kind of hobby. There's plenty of these gig economy type side hustles where you can work when you want to. But you're just talking about like $10,000. It's also another reason why you could argue people should even retire before they're even really ready, where they walk away from their corporate job that might be draining them and just whatever, like walk dogs, be an Uber driver on the nights, whatever you want to do. If you're, say, like that quarter million dollars away from your savings goal, you could just decide to make $10,000 a year and call it good without actually ever reaching that full goal if you wanted to. But there's just so many ways that you can make income. And most of the time, you're not going to need to earn much. So we don't need to conflate this idea of we're walking away from a job paying $100,000. And now all of a sudden, like we're going to need to figure out a way to recreate that. You just need like a little small bit of that if you find yourself in kind of a sticky situation. One more thing I'll add there, and this is definitely something we've covered in a lot of previous episodes, Justin, is if you have any kind of recurring income that's like non-investment income, like real estate or a small business or anything like that, like that's another great little, and even if it's not, you know, $10,000 a month, even if it's a thousand bucks a month, $500 a month, like Justin was saying, in rental income or in small business income, I mean, that is, that just swings the lever in your favor so much. So that's another reason why Justin and I like have people like that on who are doing those types of things because it's an it's another reason why you might be able to retire early because you have these extra income streams that you've built that are not directly tied to your time. So you don't have to, you know, go drive for Uber or you don't have to walk dogs. And those are perfectly fine. And if you don't want to do the real estate investing or the small business investing or things like that that have like a steady monthly cash flow, that's totally cool. But it is kind of a great hedge if you're worried about trading time for money and earning that extra income in retirement. Oh, this is a fun one. Number eight, <laughs> there's a lot of time to kill. <laughs> a certified financial <laughs> planner from Massachusetts says, are you sure you're going to have enough activities to keep your body, mind, and spirituality occupied for the many years you have ahead of you? Okay, Justin, I don't know if you want to push back first or me. I'm sure we could both have a lot to say about this one. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely of so far not, like it's so extremely not a concern of mine because I'm like a habitual hobbyist. I mean, since... Leslie was kind of messing with me. And this was true a few weeks ago. So it's like since Christmas, so we're talking about six weeks. Like I decide I want to switch both of my cars around, like go to kind of a different model where I've got a new car and an old truck instead of a new truck and an old car. Okay. Made that decision, which is kind of like a big choice to make. Then I decide, you know what? I'll do solar on the house. And then I start learning how to laser engrave things, learning how to 3D print. 
and I've actually been making a lot of projects, you know, redid the deck, made some floating shelves, made these like cool concrete shelves, like started integrating the laser work into Leslie's business, you know, where she's selling candles on the side. And that's in like six weeks. Like, I can't imagine the amount of things that I'm going to learn and I'm going to be able to do. I mean, going back to like a community college and taking classes where I could take my building skills to the next level where I could actually maybe fully build a house or wire a house. Like that's something I'd be really interested in. There's so many countries and I haven't been to hardly any of them. There's so many places to go. If you spent one week in every state, that eats up a year, you know, like when you think about it that way and there's not many states that one week is going to do the job for you to really explore. And that's just in the United States. So if you're someone who like, doesn't get excited about seeing new things or learning new things, then sure, maybe there's a lot of time to kill. But I would think that's more of a, a you problem. And like, you need to like find some more ways to, to find happiness. If literally seeing new things, experiencing new things and learning new things, if none of that's interesting to you, then maybe early retirement's not for you. I, yeah, I was going to say, I want to give this one a little bit of merit. I know I was really crapping on <laughs> the person who wrote this one. But I do think that's a fair point. Like you you kind of have to have a plan or you kind of have to have like an idea of what you're going to do with your days. And I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people will, you know, just quit their job and then the next day they wake up and they like have absolutely no clue. They have nothing to do. But those people probably aren't planners. They're probably not retiring early. They're probably not listening to podcasts like this. But I feel like a lot of people in our audience, Justin, like you said, they're they're building new skills. They're always trying new things. I mean, you could be kind of a, a weirdo and kind of willing to experiment to even pick up your headphones, listen to a podcast like this and be like, you know, what? I'm gonna retire when I'm 30. Because it's just so counterintuitive to what every single other person in society is telling you. But whether or not you love to travel or you love doing this, you love doing that, there's got to be some hobby, there's got to be something that interests you. And as you start getting deeper into that hobby, whether you monetize it or not, you're just doing it for fun. I mean, when money isn't a concern, the world is your oyster. Like you can literally pursue any hobby you want. You can do anything you want. You can hang out with whoever you want in any location that you want. Like it's honestly overwhelming the amount of things that you can do. So take full advantage. If you are someone who's going to retire early, don't be, don't be like this certified financial planner who says that you're not going to know what to do with all this extra time you get back. I mean, now, you know, like I said, the world's your oyster, take full advantage. And it is true. Like what Cody's saying, you should put some thought into it. Like you shouldn't wait till the day you retire to think about what you're going to do. I just wouldn't be scared to think that there's not going to be something that you can figure out that you want to do. Okay, number nine, honestly, this is probably, a, it's a decent one because it is tough talking about like, you know, the early movie Wednesdays and like Tuesday flights. So it's saying you may need to make new friends. And I, mean, I know we're lucky, Justin, to kind of be in this community and I know a lot of other people, like we've done trips together. We've done trips with friends like James and Emily. But I mean, if you're doing this in a silo and you know nobody else in your community and you're just like maybe listening to a podcast like this and you're not online at all, it, it might be tough. Like if you're someone who's just open all week, Monday to Friday, and you're trying to do group activities with people, they're probably working their nine to five jobs. So there are ways to make this work. And, you know, I would just encourage you to meet people in our Facebook group, other Facebook groups, go to events. There's tons of other people. And by tons, it's a small fraction of the total population, but there's a lot of people who are doing this stuff. So there are new friends to be made out there. And there are people who can probably go play tennis with you on a Monday afternoon or who can pick up and go travel to you with whatever European countries next on your on your list. But you need to go and seek those friends out. It might not be your hometown friends. It might not be your college friends. You yeah, you might need to make some new friends, but that's 
to me, that sounds fun and exciting. Find people who are aligned with your interests, who are doing the things that you're doing. And yeah, I mean, the people are out there. It's not like you're just going to be operating alone, which is, again, I wanted to give this one some merit, but it, it makes it sound like you're just going to be like doing all these things by yourself. There's nobody else who could possibly share these experiences with you. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, keeping in mind that you might need to make some new friends to fill in some of that additional gap, but that doesn't take away from the same time you would hang out with your friends before you retired. Like if you got <laughs> made friends yeah. at your gym, like you could still go to that same gym class. If you're hanging out with your friends on the weekend, just because you're retired early doesn't mean you can't still hang out with your friends on the weekend. Like there's all that time during the middle of the week that maybe, maybe say like your parents, like you want to go spend some time with them where normally you'd be working. And it's like, Oh man, like I got to give up my weekend with my friends to go like spend some quality time with my parents. Now you get the best of both worlds. Like some of these people in your life who are retired, maybe not retired early, but you know, they are retired. And like Cody said, there's uh, so many communities now, you know, you're starting to see more of these retreats. You're starting to see more conferences. There's a lot of people out there who are doing this. And then even the people who aren't retired early because of COVID, we've seen the world just go to such a nomadic kind of space where so many people are working from home and so many people can travel like during those same times that you want to travel part of their day is going to be stuck with work but that's okay like you know you don't need to be with someone 24 7 and then even taking that and breaking it down there are a lot of people who retire early are going to end up doing that with a spouse a significant other so they're going to have someone that hopefully they really enjoy being around that they're going to be able to spend some time with perfect transition justin i don't even know if you realized it number 10 this is, a, this is a good one to talk about. Retirement can be tough on couples. So, I mean, this person just way out of left field for me, but they're talking about, do you really want to be together 24-7, particularly if you downsize to a smaller home with your significant other? Okay, so I think this one goes a little bit deeper than money. Like, if you don't like spending time with your significant other, that is a you problem, not a not an early retirement problem. If, if the reason why you get along with your spouse is because you're both at work all day, I think you probably need some therapy or need some conversations. You don't need to extend your retirement longer. But, you know, with that aside, I think it is important to kind of talk about what retirement is going to look like. And, you know, we kind of covered this in some of the previous ones, like, if you do have different hobbies in your spouse, like that's a good thing, but maybe like let them know what your hobbies or what things you're going to pursue in retirement. And maybe they want to do them with you. Maybe they don't. Either way, it's totally fine. Like it totally depends on your relationship and how much time you do want to spend together. But yeah, this person just, <laughs> do you honestly want to be together 24 seven? I think, I think if you have a plan, I think if you talk it out, I think if you have an open line of communication and a healthy relationship, I know we've talked about this in previous episode as well, Justin, like setting expectations, letting your spouse know what you like, asking your spouse what they like, and just being really communicative. I think that's the most important thing that I've learned from Dayton Lauren for seven and a half years at this point. It's like voicing my concerns. She voices her concerns. We meet in the middle if we have a disagreement on something about how something should be done or how much time or energy we want to spend towards something. But Retirement does not have to be tough on couples. I'd argue that it can it can strengthen a relationship. I think a reason a lot of people get divorced or just fall out of favor with one another is because they don't hang out a lot. They don't have conversations. They're working all day. They get home, they eat dinner, they watch Netflix. They don't, you know, they go to bed at separate times. They're not even chatting and catching up in bed. And then they're just repeating the cycle five days in a row. And that is a lot unhealthier, in my opinion, than the early retired couple who's doing all the things that they've always dreamed of together. And I've kind of had a taste of like the most extreme example of this when he talks about being with someone 24-7. Me and Leslie were both working from home, living in a 375-square-foot apartment. Like, <laughs> that is on top of each other 24-7. You know, and this is during COVID and everything else. 
And yeah, that takes some like, you you know, that takes some conversations, that takes some balance, that takes some figuring out, that takes some like, you know, having your own set of friends that you can go do some things with. So there certainly probably will be some small adjustments and some conversations that need to be had. But like kind of what Cody was ending on, you know, I think taking away that stress of the work and being like your freshest self. And a lot of times we take for granted with work, we kind of have to show up and be this really like positive person. And we kind of give all that to our work. And then sometimes when we get home, like all we want to do is be able to take off that mask and kind of complain and whatever, and like just release some of that. And in early retirement, I think you would be able to come into the day just with a lot more positive attitude, and a lot more excitement about the day and not kind of poison that well. So I really think that if you're thoughtful about it and, um, you know, and if you retire early, you generally don't just fall into that by accident. So you're being thoughtful about it, that it will end up being a, a much more of a positive than being something where you should be worried about like, oh my goodness, if I stop working, I'm definitely going to get divorced. Uh, if you <laughs> believe that, then that's probably a deeper sign of, of some bigger issues. <laughs> yeah. So that's the last one from this list, Justin, but just something, I know we were talking about this before we hit go. A lot of these are like almost fear mongering. They're like, keep working because you don't want your money to run out. But I'd argue you want to stop working earlier because you don't want your life to run out. I mean, I see so many people who have all these high hopes of these amazing trips and I want to, you know, ski in the Alps. I want to visit all these countries, but then they retire and they have all these health complications because everyone gets older. And now they can't do all the things that they wanted to do in their 20s, 30s, and 40s in their late 50s and 60s because, like I said, I mean, it's just, it's life. You don't have the energy. Your body's just not as durable as it is in in your early years. So if you're someone who wants to do that type of stuff, like, and I also want to caveat this. If you love your job and you want to do that forever, like, still do the financial independence thing. Make sure you're all set because you never know when you might start to hate that job and you get a crappy manager, yada, yada, yada. But if you're someone who wants to work forever, fine. That's totally cool. And like, I'm kind of in that boat. Like, I don't think I'm ever just going to completely stop doing anything. But I like having the option to if I if I want to stop doing everything. Setting yourself up where you can do all those things that you want to do in your youth. In your youth is a lot more important than being scared and you know waiting till 70 to retire and waiting for your, the, your social security to max out before you take that trip. I just think, I mean, you're missing out on life at that point. And Money is just a tool anyway, so who cares? And a lot of these articles are kind of talking about you outliving your investments. And you know what? Like I think retiring early probably is going to extend your lifespan because I think it's going to make you a lot healthier. You're going to be eating better foods for you. You're going to have more time for exercise. Your mental health is going to be better. So I'm hoping that retiring early does make it a longer runway. And at the end of the day, though, if I'm sitting there and I'm 55 and I've been retired for 20 plus years and I realize you know what, maybe I do need to kind of make some small adjustments. Maybe I do need to maybe get back into the workforce. I can't imagine that I want to sit back and regret like a 20-year sabbatical of (laughs) the best years of my physical being, you know, like I'm in the best shape of my life and I get 20 years of that. If I have to go back and work a little bit when I'm 55, so what? Like, you know, that's not the end of the world. I don't think I'll have to. But like to me, that's the actual thing to be scared of is like that you might miss out on 20 of your best years of getting to travel. Like that's to me something really to be scared of. Being scared of having to go back to work when you're 55, to me, that's not that scary. Being scared of like inflation getting a little higher and you having to make some adjustments, like 
that's okay. I can handle that. What I cannot fix and what I cannot like reason with is thinking that I'm going to give someone else the 20 best years of my life. So I always really, really think about that, like that middle chunk of your life, 35 to 55. Those are the best, I think. I'm I'm believing those are going to be the best. I think they're going to be better than college. I think they're going to be better than any other time period in my life. And I'm super pumped about it. And I'm super pumped about being able to create my own day whenever I want to during that time period. Well, if we have any listeners who aren't old like Justin, I'm going to argue that the 20s, your 20s, that's those are your prime years. That's when it starts. <laughs> that's when all the fun starts. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're too broke in your 20s, though, normally, you know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Unless they're someone who listens to the Fi show and they've been they've been doing all the things we've been talking about over these past four and a half years. So hopefully this was an inspirational episode. I know we kind of ripped apart AARP. Sorry, AARP. Maybe they'll, uh, they're definitely not going to sponsor, sponsor us now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not our demographic. No, probably not our demographic, but yeah, I mean, hopefully if you were someone who was like, you know, we read one of those number six, you're like, Hmm, how are they going to, how are they going to deflect this one? Hopefully we dispelled all of the myths that AARP talked about in this article and showed you how early retirement is possible. We've showcased so many different case studies, so many different people who have done it, but being able to actually pick apart each of the you know top pain points that we see in different personal finance groups online, I think hopefully this article is going to be super helpful. And if it's not, if you guys are like, I totally disagree, let's you know, let's battle it out in the Facebook group, <laughs> the fivesho.com slash community. We'd be happy to chat with you about any of these and hear your takes and Justin and I aren't aren't wizards we don't have all the right answers but this is just uh this is just our opinions at this time anything to add Justin before we close out I think just as an overarching statement around you know we've done episodes before kind of these rules of thumb and other people's advice is just understanding as always this stuff is very personal and that you need to run the numbers with your own situations don't take someone else's advice as this like big blanket statement. Really look through your own lens and your own numbers and make that decision for yourself and just make sure it's informed. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.